God, we say that you are our only hope. And right now, this morning, I know that there are people in this room who are desperately, desperately crying out to you, who need uh, healing for themselves, maybe healing for somebody else. They need forgiveness. They need restoration with you. Maybe they need to forgive themselves. Maybe they need somebody else to forgive them. They are in so desperate need of your grace and your salvation to hear your voice, to hear you tell them something. And so, Father, your word says that you will always respond when your children cry out to you. And so my prayer is that whatever is on the hearts of my brothers and sisters in this room today, that you hear the cry of their heart. And that you show them that you love them and that you hear them. God, we thank you that we can gather together today and sing Please give us open and humble hearts and ears to hear the word that you've given to Pastor Joe today. May it pierce our hearts and minds uh, in this place today. In the name of your son, we pray. Amen. And you may be seated. Good morning, guys. I'm Joe Davis. I'm the pastor here at Grace Life. And I'm just going to tell you real quick that uh, about halfway through the week when I was preparing the sermon, I really thought, you know what? I'm going to scrap this as a few Sunday songs. Because... It was like really kicking my butt. But you know what? I this week, this week I'm titled the message "Gratitude in Egypt," continuing in our series on the life of Joseph, surviving in Egypt. Egypt being a metaphor for the world around us. Nothing is a better metaphor for Egypt than air travel. Well, that was good. You know what I hate? I hate getting on a plane and walking in my seat in coach passing by all the first-class passengers. It is a very discouraging feeling. I mean, who do they think they are? You think you're so special? Extra leg removed. You with your big seats and your polite flight attendants. But whatever, you know. I get to my seat in coach, I settle in, and of course, the seat is facing forward. And I begin to see all the special treatment first-class people get throughout the flight. I mean, the plane isn't even loaded with luggage yet, and they're already serving drinks, you know, bringing massive cookies, and they're cracking jokes with each other. Come on, those stewardesses don't really like you. You're just in first class. <laughs> Frankly, I think the whole thing, this first class, is a disgusting display of opulence. I'm not jealous. <laughs> I'm saddened by the inequity. <laughs> now that being said, when I fly first class, <laughs> I love it when people walk past me. <laughs> yeah, that's right, I'm in first class, but oh, where's your seat? Where would you stand with me? Sorry for you. <laughs> you know, one of the most powerful influences in Egypt is that it has an allure over us of this idea of temporal blessing. And what can happen is that obsession with what we see as temporal Egyptian blessings enables us to become consumed with covetousness and envy. And when that happens, it shows a lack of understanding of what grace is. <clears throat> it's a long passage today, so let's get with it. Uh, this is continuing with our series on Joseph. This is uh, 
uh, after they go back to their second trip from, uh, from home back to Egypt. And Joseph wants to see his younger brother, Benjamin. When Joseph saw Benjamin with them, he said to the steward of his house, bring the men into my house, slaughter an animal and make ready for the men are to dine with me at noon. Noon was the big important lunch of the day. The man did as Joseph told him and brought the men, that's his brothers, into Joseph's house. And the men were afraid because they were brought to Joseph's house. They still don't know it's Joseph. And they said, it is because of the money which was put back in our sacks the first time that we are brought in so that he may assault us and fall upon us and make us servants and seize our donkeys. So they went up to the steward of Joseph's house and spoke with him at the door of the house and said, Oh, my Lord, we came down the first time to buy food and we came to the lodging place when we opened our sacks and there was each man's money in the mouth of his sacks, our money in full weight. Somebody put it back. It wasn't us. So we have brought it back with us this time. We got to buy more grain. But we brought that money that someone put on accident back into our bag. In addition, we brought other money down with us to buy more food. We do not know who put our money back in our sacks. And the servant of the house, the guy who was running Joseph's house, replied, Peace to you. Do not be afraid. Your God and the God of your fathers put treasure in your sacks for you. I received your money. And then he brought Simeon, their brother, who Joseph was holding back. He brought Simeon out to them. And when the man had brought the men into Joseph's house and given them water, and they had washed their feet, and when they had given their donkeys fodder, they prepared the present for Joseph's coming at noon, for they had heard that they should eat bread there. And when Joseph came home, they brought into the house to him the present that they had brought with them from their land. They brought him, uh, the Joseph some presents, and they bowed down to the ground. They still don't know this is their brother. And they asked about the welfare, and he asked about their welfare and said, Is your father well? That's Joseph's father. But he's saying, Is your father well, the old man of whom you spoke? Is he still alive? And they said, Your servant, your father is well. He is still alive. And they bowed their heads and laid basically on the ground in front of Joseph. And he lifted up his eyes and saw his brother Benjamin, his mother's son, his full brother, and said, Is this your youngest brother of whom you spoke to me? He barely recognized him because it had been 25 years. God be gracious to you, my son. But then Joseph hurried out, for his compassion grew warm for his brother. And he sought a place to weep. And he entered into his chamber and wept there. But then he washed his face and came out and controlling himself, getting his emotions back under control. He said, serve the food. And they served him by himself and then by themselves because the Egyptians who ate with him by themselves because the Egyptians could not eat with the Hebrews for that is an abomination. So he's still playing like he's not a Hebrew, like he's an Egyptian. And he's eating separately from his brothers. And they sat before him, the firstborn according to his birthright and the youngest according to his youth. And the men looked one another in amazement. So they sat in pecking order of who was supposed to have the most honor in the family. And Benjamin would be at the end. Portions were taken from them, from Joseph's table, for them, from Joseph's table. But Benjamin's portion was five times as much as any others. And they drank and were merry with him, with Benjamin. It's an amazing story what takes place here. And it, this was hard for me this week, but I'm just going to go through the historical. What about man? What's going on? What did they do? I've entitled this, Let's Do Lunch. Understand the Egyptian customs here. The brothers arrive with the extra money and with Benjamin Joseph has set up another test for them at lunch. So they have no idea. They are invited. They're fearful they're going to be arrested because the money that was left in their sacks. It'd be like going through a TSA checkpoint knowing you forgot to take the bottle of liquid that's more than 2.5 ounces out. 
Or suddenly you realized you left your pocket knife in your carry-on. Yes, I've done both recently. You're a little bit afraid when you go through. They head to Joseph's house. They talk to the guy who's running Joseph's house. He calms their fears. We know you didn't steal the money. And then he brings their younger brother, Simeon, out. They're honored guests here. His plan is to see if they still live in envy and jealousy of Benjamin, his full brother, the last son of Rachel, Joseph's mother. Suddenly, these lowly Hebrews have an audience with Joseph, and they prepare to give him all the gifts they've brought to try to smooth things over. Joseph, still maintaining his cover, asks about his dad. They respond, your dad is great, although they don't know it's his dad. But the moment Joseph lays his eyes on Benjamin, his younger brother, he loses control of his emotions. And he has to leave, actually leave the room for fear of giving up his cover. He doesn't want, to see, what, doesn't want them to see him crying. This is all a very heavy moment for Joseph. And when he returns, he orders them all to be served. He eats separately to maintain his cover. He goes to great lengths to conceal his identity. And lunch is the biggest meal of the day for honored guests. They have a lavish lunch with the governor of Egypt. And then Joseph shows this ridiculously blatant favoritism. He gives his brothers an opportunity to prove they are different people now. He showers Benjamin with gifts and favoritism and extra food right in front of these brothers who had sold him into slavery because they were jealous of Joseph. He wants to see how they react to this last son of Rachel. Remember, their treachery with Joseph selling him into slavery and all that had been prompted by these same things, jealousy and envy over Joseph's dad showing blatant favoritism to Joseph over the other sons. They have seen this sort of thing play out before. One of Rachel's kids getting favoritism over Leah's sons. But instead of the envy, they're grateful. <clears throat> the brothers are excited. <clears throat> the scripture says they were shocked at what happens with Benjamin. But they're happy for him. They're surprised, but the scripture says they rejoice with him. Benjamin, dude, look at that, man. This Egyptian ruler really likes you. How awesome is that, Benjamin? How great is this? They passed this test. Eating and rejoicing freely without the burden of being disgruntled, of having less than their youngest brother. They have grown spiritually in these 25 years by leaps and bounds in the years that Joseph has been away. Now, later, Joseph will test their faithfulness one last time to see if they've been transformed by the Spirit and are now ruled by love. But this is a pretty big test. So let's look at the spiritual. What about God? What is he doing? Why did he, how does he do it? I want to talk about the core of gratitude. First of all, you have to understand, we have these brothers before grace. Prior to God's intervention into their heart, Joseph's brothers could not grasp the concept of celebrating good news with any of Rachel's sons. I mean, Joseph was Jacob's favorite son. It was blatant. It was obvious. It was ridiculous. And they resented every moment of it. They resented Jacob for it, and they resented Joseph for it. And what dominated their emotions, their decision-making, and their Facebook posts and opinions was anger, jealousy, envy, 
resentment, and worst of all, entitlement. To the point that they could justify just about any type of action because they believed they were not getting what they rightfully deserved in Egypt. This is what they were born with, church. This is their natural condition. They didn't have to learn this. They didn't have to go to envy camp when they were kids. They were born with this idea. But then we have these last two weeks, these brothers after grace. Now, instead of jealousy and entitlement that justified their treachery to Joseph, now they celebrate with Benjamin. Somewhere along the way, in the last 25 years, God has intervened and transformed their hearts. Now, instead of being filled with envy, resentment, entitlement, they are filled with thankfulness and gratitude. These once treacherous brothers now live how we see Paul encouraging the Colossians to live in Colossians 3.16. Paul says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Let me explain an amazing truth in Scripture about where this idea of gratitude actually comes from and how the brothers became people that were once treacherous, envious, entitled, bitter, angry, to now people who could have gratitude and thankfulness for their brother's good fortune, no matter the circumstances. <coughs> thankfulness, thanks, gratitude, gratefulness, these are all actually in the New Testament the same word or some version of it. Here's the Greek word, eucharistias. In, in English, we would call it eucharist. Some people use that as a name for the Lord's table. I don't like that name for the Lord's table. I can understand where it comes from, but eucharist. It means thankfulness and gratitude. But that's not the cool part of this word. You see the part that I underlined? Charis. That's the Greek word charis. Before I give that to you, do you see that little, looks like an O, like an upside down Q? That's a sigma. That's an S in Greek, right? So there's three ways you can write an S. There's the capital one, looks like a backwards E. The lowercase looks like that little upside down Q. And if it's at the end of the word, it looks like that at the very end. So there's three ways you can write the, the letter S. So you see Eucharistius. But now here, look at this word. See the S? Charis. You know what charis is in Greek? It means grace. It means undeserved favor. So smack dab in the middle of the word gratitude, thankfulness is grace. Matter of fact, in Italian, we were just talking about it with somebody. What do you, in Italian, how do you say thanks? Grazie. Grace is the absolute core word of thankfulness. But we know what grace is. It's undeserved favor. Gratitude is only a result of one thing, receiving undeserved favor from God. It's gratitude, really. <laughs> it is what, here's what it is. It is a life that is characterized by gratitude, which is only a result of the supernatural gift of faith. Now, sure, some people can have temporary expressions of gratitude. They get something they've been wanting or they finally are able to get something they had been looking for for a long time or working for. 
a new job, a new car, a new house, a new relationship. So you can be, have gratitude temporarily. But sooner or later, gratitude gives way to human nature. Envy. But when grace intervenes, we are able to live in a state of gratitude or thankfulness, same thing, no matter what our circumstances. So keeping that in mind, the core of the word thank, every time you say I'm thankful, what you're saying is I'm graceful. Gratitude, 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 great, grateful, thankful, thankfulness, all of that has the root word grace, which we know is what gets us to heaven. So now let's look at the personal. I got some things in here that really, really disturbed me this week. And, and I'm not just saying, I mean, it really, it really shook me to my core. Matter of fact, this morning, when I was writing my sermon, I called a friend of mine who I'd seen yesterday who really had a, a dear friend. And I called him, and I was kind of crying. I said, Art, I got to tell you something. You're going to hear that story in just a little bit. Let's talk about the personal. I want to talk about entitlement versus gratitude. This was the social media can campaign this week. The hardest part of surviving in Egypt is feeling we deserve more than what Egypt has given us. Boy, that can really be a cancer, can't it? When you're trying to survive in Egypt and you think Egypt has been treating me unfairly. This physical ailment I have, this I don't have enough resources, I don't have enough money, I don't have any good relationships, my family's a wreck. Egypt has been horrible to me and I deserve better. <clears throat> but here's what we can say. If living... In gratitude, it is a result of grace. You can see how the opposite of gratitude is the natural human condition. Matter of fact, James says this in chapter 4, verse 1 through 3. He explains what life without gratitude looks like, without grace. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? Not just within yourself, but within each other. He's talking about individually and corporately. You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. And you, you ask, but you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it upon your passions. Boy, James does a good job explaining that, doesn't he? Church, there are two elements of human nature that are constantly at war with living in gratitude or grace. And these two things are things that Egypt actually fuels. The first one is envy. Outside of grace, we somehow believe that Egypt will be just fine if I can get somehow more of my fair share of it. If I can get my fair share of Egypt in my life, I can survive it just fine. Sooner or later, it's, hey, I deserve more of Egypt than I have been given. Why don't other people see that? Let's go deeper. Do you think of yourself as being envious? That's too easy, too elementary. Of course we're envious. That's human nature, right? You can say you're not, but when you see some, we all struggle with envy of other people's stuff. But this is why Egypt is so enticing. Our depravity goes far deeper than just being envious of others. What we really want is for Egypt to be envious of us. I mean, 
and don't take this the wrong way, because trust me, I was preaching to myself. This is why Egypt is so enticing. We want Egypt to envy us as well. I mean, why else do we post the absolute best moments of our lives on Facebook? We don't even realize it. I mean, of course we're thankful. We're thankful for our great family. What about those that don't have such a great family? We're thankful for our job. What about those that are struggling to find work? We're grateful for our new car, our great marriage, our great kids. What about other people that don't have all of that? But we do this anyway. So envy is not just us desiring what other people have. It's inside. If you really do some introspection, and I had to this week, and I did not like what I saw. Envy is also when you want other people to envy you. Oh, it can look like thankfulness and gratefulness. And maybe there's a part of that. It's a fine line. I understand. But in reality, we kind of like it when we have stuff that other people want. Okay, maybe just me. You guys know? Is it just me? <laughs> so how does this envy end up manifesting itself? What type of behavior does it produce? It looks like that of the brothers prior to grace. And it's one word. It's called entitlement. And here's the definition I've given. Entitlement is the condition of having a right to ha having a right to have, do, or get something. The feeling or belief that you deserve to be given something, such as special privileges, that can lead to justification of any behavior. I feel like I deserve this so much, it is okay to violate a normal moral code because, frankly, this is my right. Somebody has gotten this instead of me. Somebody has taken this from me. They don't deserve it. I do. I should get it. What do I have to do to make things right? Justice. Entitlement sees others as not deserving what God has blessed them with as much as you deserve it. That's what entitlement is. I told you this one was hard. Entitlement sees other people merely as obstacles or challenges impeding you from what you actually deserve. Entitlement sees others as a problem, not a blessing. And entitlement bursts the following emotions and feelings. You ready? Lying, stealing, judgment, Selfishness, immorality, hypocrisy, laziness, the list can go on and on and on. This is who all of us are in Egypt without grace. You can pretend like you're not, you are. I am. We're surrounded by things we want, things we desire, and we're living in resentment when we don't acquire that which we believe we have worked hard enough for and are entitled to. Entitlement is birthed by the failure to recall your own deficiencies, failures, flaws, and your own desperate need of grace. Which, by the way, as you remember, is the core 
of gratitude and thankfulness in its very root word, grace, thankfulness, gratitude, gratitude. Can you see how gratitude isn't the natural persistent inclination of human nature? So let me just tell you two stories about my insidious jealousy. And I'm not, this is not a joke. These are true stories. So um, you guys remember Laura and I got the privilege of going on vacation in London. And we went to this church there in London. Good church. We were excited about going. I'm, I'm just really embarrassed even saying this, but I, I want to be vulnerable so that you can let down your guard. So we're there. Worship's great. The preacher gets up. And in my learned, experienced opinion, he was horrendous. And I just thought, how in the world does this guy have this platform? That should be me. I mean, my insidious, I'm thinking this in church. And I was talking to my friend Jim, who'll be back in a couple weeks, thank goodness, and I said, Jim, you know, I went to that church that you were talking about. That guy's bad. Like, how does he get that job? And he says, are you jealous of him? Yeah, yeah, maybe. Yeah, yeah I was. I was envious. It's sickening. I mean, I'm your pastor. I'm telling you, that was really dark, wasn't it? That should be me up there. Ugh, it's nasty. And then yesterday, we go to the Day for Hope. There's a friend of mine in town. I don't get to see him very often, but I love this guy. I coached basketball with him at Riverview for like six years. Arthur Larkin, some of you might know him. He runs the Robert Taylor uh, thing there, the... Uh, the recreation center down there in Newtown. Everybody knows Art. He's, he's, a, he's a Sarasota treasure. Uh, awesome guy. And I drive up and I say, hey, Dr. Larkins. He's not really a doctor, but I call him that because, you know, <laughs> Dr. Davis, how you doing? There is a God. And he gets that. He comes, gives me a hug and we're talking. He goes, hold on, I'll be right back. He was helping this this old timer who was an older guy, his bike was broken and Art has all these tools in his truck and Art's taking his bike apart and fixing it so the guy can ride off, right? I was like, man, I love Art. He's pretty cool, you know? I said, Art, I remember you drove across town to fix my starter when I was a youth pastor. He didn't have any money. And then we're talking, some other guys come around and Art and I are talking. We're having a good time talking. And then Art goes off on this incredible tangent bragging about other people. He goes, yeah, uh, Coach Davis and I used to coach together at Riverview, man. He had a big impact on my life. Let me tell you about some of the people that we got to, to, to work with. And he starts talking about some of our former players and what they're doing now for like five minutes. This one's a bank president, and, and this one's going into the Hall of Fame at University of South Florida. And this one, uh, she's a believer, and she runs a nanny service, and she's incredible. And, and then he goes on, oh, you know what? It reminds me of these other people. Um, and he starts talking about these other people in town who are living selflessly who have said, you know, they could live in this big house and they gave up this one big house for other people who need it and they live in a small house on the other side. Of, and he's going around. Art does a lot of really good stuff in town and all he does for 10 minutes is talk about other people. He was bragging about the success of others and I'm listening to him and I'm saying, yeah, God, I know why you made me run into Art today. And I just learned so much just listening to this guy. So I called him this morning, 7.15, I texted him, are you up? Dr. Davis, you know I'm up. I said, call me. So he called me. I said, Art, I just want to tell you something. 
I've been writing this sermon about gratitude all week. And when I saw you fixing that guy's bike, and then I saw you for 10 minutes, you could have talked about all the stuff you got going on at that recreation center. He runs it, and he does an incredible job. All you did was talk about other people blessing our town. I said, Art, man, that's amazing. You like, you just really, like, you encouraged me, but you also made me feel like garbage. <laughs> so I'm talking to him on the phone this morning. He's crying, and I'm crying. He says, let me pray for you, Dr. Davis. So he's praying for me, you know. I'm not a doctor. That's what he calls me. Just a reminder, okay? <laughs> and I love Art and because he's such a humble, honest guy. And it just revealed to me just how envious I am. And I hate it. I can't stand it. And so this week I've been learning a lot about what it means to live in gratitude, gracitude. Those are two stories I didn't want to share with you, okay? That one about the church in London, that was just like, I, that was me, ugh. Let me tell you something, the secret to gratitude is that without grace, you are a total mess. Therefore, any blessing you have is far above anything you deserve. Philippians 2, 3, and 4, Paul says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. No, I don't want to do that. I'm more significant. No, I'm not. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also the interests of others. That's what Art was teaching me yesterday. And then Paul says this in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 3 through 4. We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, as is right because your faith is growing abundantly and the love of every one of you for one another is increasing. Therefore, we ourselves boast about you on Facebook in the churches of God for your steadfastness, your faith in all your persecutions and in the afflictions that you are enduring. Let me tell you something. True gratitude would be like this. I'm just posting stories about my guy's marriage. His is so much better than mine. I am so happy for him. I just want to post up here. My dude got a new car. He worked hard for it. He deserves it. She's been working hard. She deserves it. I am so happy they got this car. Yo, I want to tell you something. My people are killing it on vacation. Have you seen their pictures? They're amazing. No, we just post our own vacation pictures. My wife was talking to me about that. Why are you posting your pictures? Well, because I want people to envy me, Laura, of course. Mm, she's thinking, mm-hmm, I told you. Should have listened, honey, I'm sorry. But they were epic selfies, you would have to say. Living in gratitude, listen to this. This is going to change the way. Living in gratitude has very little to do with counting your own blessings. Matter of fact, I would say to you, it has nothing to do with counting your blessings. It has everything to do with counting the blessings of others and celebrating them. That's what Paul says. That's gratitude. You are so tuned in to what God is doing in the life of others, you're not even worried about what you don't have. You're excited about what they have. This is one of the best supernatural proofs that God is starting to work in your life and to transform your heart because just like the brothers of Joseph, 
They were no longer envious. They did not get five portions like Benjamin did, but they were sure glad he got it. I would imagine if they had Facebook back then, they would have said, yo, Father Jacob, take a look at what's going on with Benjamin. We don't know who this Egyptian ruler is, but he really likes Benjamin. He got five times more than us. Isn't that amazing? And Joseph's probably like, 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 like. <laughs> Shared it with Rachel. Rachel, see what's going on with your son, Benjamin? I don't know if Leah liked it or not. Probably not. I don't know. Uh, you can see why this was hard for me. Because I realized that Pastor Joe struggles with both sides of envy. I want stuff other people have, and I want them to want what I got. I need more grace. I need you to give me grace. You need grace. We need gratitude. What that really means is, God, make me thankful. What it really means is, God, please give me grace. Heavenly Dad, it's hard to live in Egypt. It's hard to not be filled with envy and resentment. It's hard to not be jealous. The only way we can do it is if you give us grace. We thank you for the picture and the story of Joseph's brothers, how you are transforming these guys right before our eyes as we read this story. And they go from being envy jerks to incredibly gracious, thankful brothers. God, just do whatever it is